This morning's text comes to us from one of the many creation psalms found in the psalmody, what we might call the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. May God open up to us a new awareness of the power found in these words from the 19th Psalm, verses 1 through 6. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims God's handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Days pass and the years vanish, and we walk sightless among miracles, Lord. Fill our eyes with seeing and our minds with mystery. Let there be moments when your presence Your lightning illumines the darkness in which we walk. Help us to see wherever we gaze that the bush burns unconsumed and we, clay touched by God, will reach out for holiness and exclaim in wonder, how filled with awe is this place and we did not know it. Amen. That is an old Jewish prayer for which I am grateful. This morning as we stand before tomorrow's much heralded eclipse and after the much publicized hatred and violence in Charlottesville last week, I want to talk about how the two are related They both bring darkness on the earth while eclipsing the light. One eclipses the S-U-N and the other eclipses the S-O-N. Other than that, they are complete opposites. One brings us to our knees in awe and wonder built on a deep reverence for creation The other has no sense of reverence at all except for the forces of darkness and evil and hatred. It is banal, fear-mongering, and tries to bring others to their knees through threat and intimidation. One brings awareness that we are connected to something much greater than our own tiny selves while the other brings blindness to anything other than our own 
arrogant and pathetic need for power and supremacy. One evokes reverence, while the other evokes doom and terror. One points to God, the other points to evil. Reverence is what differentiates the two. A lot of people say that our original sin, you remember in the story of the Garden of Eden, comes not when they chose to eat of the tree of knowledge, the one prohibited fruit, but when they refused to accept the incredible glory and, and beauty and amazing gifts that they had already been given that by, they, they did not show any sense of reverence for the creation that was already before them. No gratitude, no appreciation. All they felt was this consuming need to have the one thing apart from all the others that they were told they could not have. In other words, they were blind to the awe and wonder of creation as it was already before them, focused as they were, on that one thing. Abraham Joshua Heschel, the great Jewish mystic of the late 20th century, said, the surest way to suppress our ability to understand the meaning of God and the importance of worship is to take things for granted. Indifference to the sublime wonder of living is the root of all sin. The writers of the Bible were mostly agrarian farmers or shepherds, nomadic, dependent on the land, the seasons, the rain, and the sun in order to thrive. Connected as they were, they were dependent on nature and more aware of nature and creation in order to survive. They were more reverent in the face of it. Creation is God's first revelation, John Calvin said. And the closer one is to the land, the closer one is to sea. These psalms are full of songs of gratitude for creation composed out of reverence for our creator, God, from whom sent us all that there is. And these psalms came as much by them looking out into the world and up into the sky, as well as looking within themselves for what they most longed. Psalm 19.1, the heavens are telling the glory of God. In those days, they thought the heaven, the earth, and the underneath the earth were three-tiered. And the heavens were covered by this dome And so they thought the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament, this dome, declares God's handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night declares knowledge. And if you remember when I read it, it said, yet that speech is silent. There are no words because you see in the midst of awe and wonder, we lose our voice. There are no words that can be used to explain and describe the power of what reverence feels like. According to the Bible, the highest religious virtue is a Jewish word named Yirah, 
The word has two meanings, which are really very closely related. The first is fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the psalm says. But really what fear means in this case is reverence, respect, sacred, holy respect. The other word is a sense of wonder, humility, inspired by the sublime or felt in the presence of mystery. It seems that reverence is the tap root of faith, and awe and wonder are the fruits that are produced thereof. Reverence is the posture of humility. It determines our capacity to be knocked to our knees in gratitude and joy. And the Bible is adamant that everything on earth is part of God's creation, should be revered, which is why the most hopeful and powerful words in all of the Bible are the first words written in the first chapter of the first book of Genesis. In the beginning was the, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth And at the end of that same passage, again, the most hopeful as God stepped back, smiled and said, it is good. Grounded in this reverence of God and God's creation leads to our reverence for others, for the earth, for our neighbors and even for ourselves. To see that every person is a part of this goodness that God created, each human being made in God's image, every single child, a child of God, each atom placed where it is because it forms a synchronicity of some kind of mysterious organic unity. Grounded in reverence, all things are holy. The Jews knew this, the Greeks came to know it as reverence being one of the great bulwarks for a society and a civil society that worked together. Both groups wanted to see reverence in their leaders because reverence is the virtues that keep leaders from trying to take control of other people's lives. Reverence is the virtue that keeps us in our place. It humbles us. Reverence enables us to perceive the world, imitations or intimations of the divine, as Heschel said, to sense in the small things the beginning of infinite significance, to sense the ultimate in the common and simple. The fact is, as human creatures of God, at the deepest part of ourselves, we are desperately hungry and longing to be caught up in awe and wonder, to kneel in reverence at the feet of the holy and to give ourselves over to that which only deserves praise and worship. A meeting last week, there were seven of us there. Four of the seven are probably stuck in traffic right now trying to find their way to where totality will be seen in the eclipse. Four out of the seven. What are we looking for? Awe. Wonder. Reverence. 
Yet it is this same hunger and need and longing that moves ISIS and the neo-Nazis and the white supremacists and the white nationalists to kneel at the feet of darkness thinking that they too are in some way reverent. They are so starved to be caught up in something other than themselves that they buy into the lie, the ideology, that they are the only ones who should be revered. You see, this is always the way evil works. It makes reverent that which should not be. It blinds us to the awe and wonder of God's creation so that all we can revere is power and violence and hatred. And all we can see is only through our own self-aggrandizement and egomaniacal eyes. If our original sin is unwillingness to stand before the holy in reverence, then our way out is through the awareness of the holy in all things. Why is it so hard for us to see it in others, in the world, in ourselves? Are we really that blind? Every day, every moment is full of such wonder. We experience an eclipse of the sun every single evening as light falls to dusk and every single morning as the sun comes up again. It is in itself a miracle. Every single day, Finding reverence in our creation should catch our breath. It should make us mute. It should leave us without words of thought. It only should knock us to our knees with the magnificent gifts of biology and chemistry and physics and cosmology and beauty found in creation It brings to us tears of joy in the beauty of a monarch butterfly or any butterfly, by the sparkling sheen of a fresh-caught trout, by the peacock's completely overindulgent tail, or the lumbering hippopotamus. How can we not be silenced by the mystery of the Higgs uh, Higgs boson particle, the so-called God particle are overwhelmed by the seemingly infinite expanse of universes, universes. Zookeepers are curious, it seems, why so many people break out in tears when they first see a sloth hanging upside down eating roses, which is their favorite treat. What makes seeing a sloth cause us to break out in tears? Everywhere and every moment we are surrounded by the awe and wonder of God's creation and it is there, free for us, apparently not just for our survival but for the sake of beauty itself. Go figure. Why are there so many different species of flowers, birds, insects, ants, races, skin colors, just because of evolution? Maybe, but even evolutionists say 
The varied number is way over the top. There is plenty here that is apparently just for beauty. If we live more outside, we would probably be more aware of this. This life before us, this creation of God should knock us to our knees every day. And we really shouldn't need anything like tomorrow's amazing eclipse to remind us how all-filled our world is. But even still, have you wondered how it could be that the moon is the exact distance and the exact size it needs to be to cover up the sun as a lid would cover up the top of a jar? The exact moon and distance it has to be to create total totality, that's redundant, except for the corona. Just, I don't know, coincidence? Reverence comes when we start looking for it. If it's the eclipse, not without glasses, I mind you. Looking for it, looking at it, looking up, looking out, looking under, looking within, and looking around. Looking down too, even if you're not looking at those stupid cell phones that we supposed to we spend most of our time looking down at. If I can end the sentence with a preposition, nothing can eclipse the light of God. Not even the power of death and darkness. Not even the power of the cross. Not even the power of the crucifixion. And the cross, you see, is our symbol that all the powers of darkness and evil, hatred and violence cannot eclipse the light of God's redemptive love for all people, even those, this is the hard part, for we self-righteous little Christian types. The power of God's love in Jesus Christ does not eclipse that love from all people, even those we think most blinded by the darkness itself. The neo-Nazis, the white supremacists, Antifa. A total eclipse, you see, cannot actually be total. It doesn't put out all the light. The corona shines. The light bends around the moon, blocking its path. And we are reminded from 1 John 1 that the light came into the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. A person in Charlottesville gathered with the ministers and peacemakers, not the Antifa movement, which is its own darkness, by the way. But they were up front with the ministers as they stood in the park waiting for the KKK and the neo-Nazis. They could hear them coming from blocks away, banging their sticks on their helmets and on their shields, marching in constant beat. The noise grew louder and louder as they came, and it was terrifying, frightening. Yet as they got closer the noise, huge, in a small, faint voice, a song could be heard that soon caught on with everyone else there, and it then was so loud it drowned out the noise of the movement. 
This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Dennis Overby, an eclipse chaser who apparently has seen nine or 11, I forget the number, said during an eclipse, the temperature falls and the wonder rises. A total solar eclipse brings tears, screams, and even reverence in its path. The universe itself is made mostly of shadows, of dark energy and dark matter, of black holes interspersed among the stars. But we are children of light. And when the light comes back, we will be dancing in it and singing in it. That, by the way, then it is a fine time to cry. And I will add, laugh. For the light is even now with us. Amen.